or just, just joy in life. I thank you for laughter, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for uh, you've created everything. You created laughter. You, you created it all, Lord, and we just thank you. And I thank you for this day. I thank you. It's so exciting to, to come before you and to preach your word and to share the gospel message to your, to your people. My brothers and sisters, Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for their faithfulness to you. And, Lord, we're always in the process of growing. It never stops, Lord. So help us, Lord, to, to garner some truths you want from your word today that we can apply to our lives to bring you glory and honor. And I pray that you might use me as your instrument to do that, to bring your word to your people, that you anoint me to do so, that our hearts will receive all you would have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever reached a point in your life when you said, that's it, I'm tired of living this way? That usually happens when we are trying to live life on our own terms. Sometimes Christians try to live a double life, claiming the faith and at the same time walking in the flesh. And my friends, that is happening a lot, not here. Praise you, Jesus, for that. But that happens so much in, in, the, in Christian circles that people, they, they, they talk the talk, but they don't walk the talk. So I don't know about you, but this is a side note that when I hear people say, oh, so-and-so, what, what wonderful words, whatever, that is great. But if it's not followed up by action, that's not a good thing. And Jesus really talks about this in Matthew seven twenty one. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus was saying the kingdom of God is not expressed simply by the words we speak, but by our actions. I look for actions. I've heard thousands and millions of words on the faith. I'm looking for action. I look for people, the fruits of their, of their, of, that comes from their lips. And, and so is Jesus. It is going to be, I think, surprising. I don't want to really get into this. It be gloom and doom. But we might be surprised about who's in heaven and who's not in heaven. I'm just saying. Uh, well, I guess this is not going too well, so I better try to rev it up a little bit more. A true Christian seeks to apply the word and faith in daily life. You notice now, every pastor has a different style of preaching. I like to go into the word, and then I do, I do as you know, I do scripture all the way through a message. Because that, to me, that's the most important. The Word of God reveals who God is. Now, how many of you, I'm looking out here, and see all you people, they're Bible scholars. So you had to be on the top of your game, know so much about the Bible. And have you ever studied prophecy? Really looked at prophecy? It is amazing for people that really say, well, listen, I need facts. I need more than just a feeling Really, to validate the faith, I need facts. The Bible is loaded with facts. The biblical prophecy is unbelievable. 
I'm right now in the book of Isaiah in my own devotional time, and it's amazing all the prophecies that were fulfilled in that book. Do you realize that Cyrus, we know the Persian king, God laid that on Isaiah's heart. That was prophesied that he would be the ruler of Persia 150 years before it happened. Another prophecy at that point, that Jerusalem would fall, that was a prophecy from Isaiah, a hundred years before it happened. And that the temple would be built 250 years before it actually was rebuilt. You can't make this up. You can't make this up. And that's amazing. They, uh, history tells us that Cyrus, when he was, when he was born, when he, when he became ruler, this came out through, through records. He was so moved. Now, this guy was not a Christian. Not a, well, he was a pagan, really. But he was so moved at this prophecy about him that he fulfilled that prophecy. That was his goal. Isn't it amazing how God works through people's lives even he anointed a pagan to accomplish, God did, to accomplish his will. That, to me, is an amazing, amazing fact. And, and me, I like those. I like to, as an old philosopher, I like to get into all these, what people thinking and, and, and all these things. So this really, uh, but that's part of my actually getting into the faith because I really questioned a lot about the Bible and boy, I tell you, that really convicted me. But anyway, my first thought, God's gift to us. Let's look at Romans six twenty-two through 24. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves to God, the benefit, the benefit you reap leads to what? Holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Before Christ, we were in bondage to sin. We know that as believers. It was before Jesus and after, after Jesus. We're bondage to sin. But verse 22 tells us that we have been set free. We have been set free from sin because we have received Jesus Christ as Redeemer and Savior. Now, Mike, Mike, I was talking to Mike Hand this while back about Augustine. Some call him Augustine, but I, call, I say it's Augustine. Augustine was a fourth century philosopher that really shaped Christianity. The Christianity that we, believe it or not, that we uh, uh, learn and grow from and by whatever, a lot of those uh, about determination, free will, what that means, sanctification, Augustine really was the one philosopher, theologian, that really set the stage for that. That's this, he's important because people that go on to become pastors or whatever, you will study him. He greatly influenced my uh, time in school because I liked his concepts on determination and free will and sanctification. I thought he was 
really, it's some very, very uh, key points. But my point with all of that was Augustine's story. This guy was, he, he turned away from the faith when he was like a teenager. And he went from one end of morality to the other. He became, he was just a hedonist. He was just terrible. And his mother, Monica, prayed for him for years and years and years. She prayed for her son that he would turn back to Jesus. But he got got, uh, uh, deeper and deeper into all this anti-Christ movement during his day. He was was bad. He was a bad person morally. Uh, I'm going to leave it there because there were stories about him that probably would curl your hair or your toenails or whatever because how bad he really was. But one day, one day, his mother's prayers were answered. Augustine turned to Jesus Christ again. He had a conversion experience. That is amazing. You know, uh, being uh, remorseful, I want to use that word, being Remorseful for his sin happens as we yield to Christ. That's what happened to Augustine. He yielded to Christ. Isn't this familiar? That was in the fourth century. The same principle applies today. You fall away, you need Christ. You need a born-again experience. That has not changed forever and ever and ever. God's gift of Jesus brings Holy Spirit power and conviction. What convicts you when you're on the wrong path? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit, as you're going in Christ, tells you something is wrong. And God's gift gives us forgiveness in Christ. We have that. We have guidance. And we have salvation because what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Number two, a transformed life, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. I love that phrase. That is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may well be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. So listen to what I'm going to say. You, you young people, we've got young people here, okay, some? All right. Paul reminds us that we demonstrate commitment to Christ by offering our bodies as living sacrifices to who? To him. What does that mean? How do we do that? How do we, how does that work in our world? So Paul is saying, literally, we're talking about the word, that our bodies as Christians are to be living sacrifices to Christ. That means what's in our heads, what we're thinking, how we act, whatever. Two areas in life today are a problem. They've always probably been a problem. It's adultery. I pause because the, uh, the Christian, Christianity has shifted and has been shifting through the years. 
And it used to be that, that the, the church or Christians were, you had, you had the values of the world, the morals of the world were up here, and, and, and Christianity was far from those morals. They were down here. Then it went from, mm, mm, through the years, then it became equal. You couldn't tell the difference between the morals of, of society and the church. Now, guess what? The church is past at large, I'm talking about you guys, at large, has passed that level. You see what I'm saying? That is a problem. It's a problem for pastors. I cannot tell you pastors are having problems morally. They are slipping, they are slipping, and they are slipping. But they're not alone, as I just mentioned. And I think of our young people here. And I think of what I would tell my children growing up as best I could. I did have the talk, uh, especially with Diane. I had the talk with Diane um, about life. And I want you to understand, all of us to understand this. And that is, first of all, it's not worth it. Affairs, adult, it's not worth it. Because what it does, when people say that, well, nobody's going to know, they know. It destroys families. It destroys so many things. Now, and promiscuity is big today. I want to hit on that one for our young people here, maybe in particular, is uh, the confessions of a pastor. Older people can hear this as well. I was bad as a teenager. I was bad. And I've asked God to forgive me for the things that I was involved in, the things that I did. I was very, my wife knows about them. This is before Jan. I'm talking about when I was, you know, before Christ. And because I was selfish, I was selfish. What I wanted, what I wanted, what I wanted. And I knew how to play the game. I know you're shocked. You say, our pastor? Remember, this is before Christ. I know what it can do because I've been there. I'm not some pie-in-the-sky pastor that's been up, whatever... I know what, can, what happens. And some of you know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm not alone here. But here's my point that I want us to see and understand that all of what I've been talking about here are not what Paul will call uh, uh, acts of worship. They're not, they're not uh, living sacrifices for our God. What goes into your mind, what you do, is your body, the Bible says, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can, can, to my own defense, I can say something like, well, I was a kid, I was a teenager, I didn't know any better, I didn't have Christ, I didn't have have parents, I was pretty much, I can make that excuse. But I'm telling you that you can overcome this. How? You see, 
See, I'm, I can't give you guys the birds and the bees because that's your parents. You need to do that. But whatever, so I'm trying to kind of weigh my words a little bit. But the only thing I can say, if I could do it all over again, if I were, if I were a Christian, oh, how I would change things. But young people, or if you're tempted, you need to ask. If you're tempted to do something, and you really think that maybe, and don't fall for this, you know, if you love me, then you'll do whatever I want. That is garbage. I can just say, that just garbage. And I use that. So I know it's garbage. So, if you're tempted, whatever it might be, any of us, then just ask what, what I'm thinking about doing or what I am doing, is, that, is it holy and pleasing to God? That's what Paul asked. Is this holy and pleasing to God? What I'm about to do, what I want to do, I mean, come on. I mean, we're all sinners. I'm not saying that we're perfect. We're all going to blow it. We know that, but we have mercy and grace in Christ. But when you're thinking about these things, you know that are wrong. You know that you know in your heart that is wrong. Then ask that question, simple question, was what I want to do, is it, is it pleasing and holy and pleasing to God? You'll get an answer. Your heart will convict you. I know. People come to me and they say, oh, but pastor, you don't know that temptation. I say, oh, yeah. You know, I'm not one of these pastors that I, you can't pull it over me. I've been there, done that, did it. And I know it's wrong. That stuff stays within the marriage. So if you're thinking, you got some stinking thoughts going on, you need to go to the Lord right now and ask him to help you sort it out and give you the conviction to do the right thing. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay. That was a good solid amen. So I feel we're on the right track. Verse 2. Paul said, Do not conform any longer to to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Being transformed is the result of a renewed mind in Christ, meaning if you sincerely pursue God's will, you will find it. Stop and think about that. If you take on the mind of Christ, and Christ's mind is in you, then when you seek God's will, he will reveal it to you. You will find it. That is absolute truth. You know, I see we have the small children. What do you tell our our children? I remember when my kids were really, really, really small. If we're crossing the street, I'd say, you know, take daddy's hand. You know, they put their little hands in my hand and say, okay, now now we stop. I'm teaching them, you know, uh, about crossing the street, the dangers of it. And when, when you, a child takes your hand, oftentimes that gives them security. That gives them security and control, knowing that you are in control, you are there to help them. And friends, that's exactly what the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. He's our father. He wants to take us by our hands and lead us. 
and to protect us and show us the right paths to go to keep us safe. He knows, like children, we're going to drift away from time to time. But there, when we drift away, that's a great time to learn and grow in him. So it's not a waste when we blow it. God can use it for his glory. Amen? That's what's so exciting about all of this, um, that God is always there and God is always faithful to us. That leads us to Isaiah 41.10. I love this. 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. Listen, we need not fear because God said I am with you. We need not fear because God said I am your God. We need not fear Because God said, I will strengthen you and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. We need not fear. Um, Any of you journal? Okay. Jan does. Sue, I can't see back there, though. Okay. Stop and think, just for a moment, all the ways that God has helped you. Just stop, just for a moment, and you can't think of all of them. Just stop and think of all the ways that God has helped you. Isn't it amazing? Hundreds, thousands of ways that God helps us. And so when you read from Isaiah 41, 10, you know, they're not just words on a page that makes, it shouldn't make us stop and think of how God has taken us by the hand and he's helped us through this mess and that mess, this situation and that situation because that's what God wants. That's God's will is for us to follow him, to seek him and to seek his will. Amen? Now, I thought that deserved an amen. Now, that leads us to the third thought in trusting in our leader. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Let's go back to the phrase, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord is to, is to the follower of Jesus what the marriage ceremony is to the bride and the groom. The vows in marriage spell out what is to be done within the marital relationship. And also what it means to live out a commitment to God in marriage. Therefore, here comes my therefore, therefore, I think it's a great idea to try to act out some of those vows that you made, you know, in your married life, you know, and apply them to your marriage now. 
be, you know, it's, isn't it, I love it when there are people, it's been for years now, that people want to renew their vows, you know, after four year, uh, you know, 40 year of marriage or whatever, they want to, re, uh, you know, renew their vows or 50 years or whatever the case might be. I think that's really cool. But I think it's really cool also if you can live out some of those vows to each and every day in your married life. Because they are reminders of that commitment you made when you were first married. You know, for example, telling your spouse, I love you. I know some people say, well, well, I do. I say, people, some people, not you guys, that how often do you say to your husband or wife, I love you? Well, let's see. Well, at a birthday or maybe whatever, I might slip out and I love you once in a while. No, on a daily basis, to tell your spouse, I love you. That's an act to love, honor, cherish, commit. How about taking her hand or his hand? It doesn't have to be, it can be any time. Watching TV, cold hands, taking a walk. Hold hands. Sometimes I have an urge just to hold Jan's hand and I'll hold it. Not to impress because I do it, because I'm reminding her how much I love her and I honor her. How about, how about just putting your arms around your husband and your wife without any, not for dance, just to do that. Or you're sitting together at a movie, whatever the case, even in church, and you put your hand on her hand, or his hand, whatever. You know what I'm talking about? These are acts of commitment. How long does it take, a question for you, how long does it take to build a healthy marriage. The answer is every day for a lifetime. How long does it take to build a, a loving, trusting, heartfelt commitment to Jesus Christ? That's every day, isn't it? Every day for a lifetime. Uh, also, I can just say, in, you know, what is also showing this love language, or if I'm doing a seminar on marriage, I'd be put, saying these things. But also, for me, it's, it's one. Jan's act of love for me, I come home, Okay. Okay, it's, it's evening. Almost around supper time. Pull the car in the garage. Get out of the car. Open up the door, go into the house. And I have this aroma of cinnamon rolls that fills me. And as I'm walking from the laundry room to the kitchen, that smell gets more, it gets more pronounced. 
Then I start thinking about the days when she'd be making the cinnamon rolls and you have the yeast and all that, you spread it all out, you put the butter on it, and you put the cinnamon on it, and then she rolls them up, you know, then the, put them in the oven. But have you ever had the experience of at that moment taking, she would cut the cinnamon rolls, and you take one just raw, and you lift it up, Yes, yeah, see, Becky, you know what I'm talking about. You lift it up, and almost sometimes before you even get it to your mouth, all that butter and cinnamon is going right between the cracks of your fingers. And you eat it. And you say, guess what's coming for me? You know, that sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? But that's an act of love. Am I good? But that'd be good to have cinnamon rolls today, wouldn't it? I'm just saying that, that after nap, maybe, you know, the smell of the cinnamon rolls, whatever. So, you know, that is so important that we see and we experience those things because it all begins with verse 5, really. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. This is directing our motives, our choices, our decisions and intentions on what God wants. And the verse 6 in all your ways, ways, acknowledge him. I love the word acknowledge. Acknowledge has to do with wanting to know and serve Jesus personally. It's understanding and trusting that God will direct our paths. Look at Joseph for an example. Remember Joseph going to the Bible in, the, in Genesis? What a great story. You probably heard it many, many, many times. Joseph was sold into Egyptian slavery. But you look at his story, and perhaps we can in some ways identify with his hardships that he experienced. You can start probably with Genesis, I think it's 37 or 38, goes for four uh, chapters or whatever. Read it. It's great reading. But perhaps we can identify with some of his hardships Joseph, as a young man, they say, had, was arrogant, and he, would, and he was his father's favorite son, and he would throw that up into the face of his brothers. His brothers resented him so much that, and, and envied, envied him that they wanted to kill him or get rid of him. Just get rid of this kid. He's a nuisance. Just get rid of him. Joseph was betrayed and deserted by his family. Any of that ever happened to you with your family? I just come, come off of burying my sister, and I happen to have all the family there, and it saddened me to see some of the stuff that's still carrying on within the family. Joseph was confronted with sexual temptation. Not new today. Even greater today than it was back in his day. How did Joseph respond? He resisted. Now, you think that God resisted, did the right thing, that God would say, okay, I'm going I'm I'm to reward him and take care of him. Well, God took care of him. But what happened, 
he resisted, but he still what? He was still punished anyway. He endured long periods of imprisonment and abandonment. He was abandoned by those he had helped. So this guy was blasted in every which direction. Yet through all of his setbacks in life, you know, through them all, he never he never whined. He never cried out, "Why me? Why me?" Instead, he knew that wherever he went, whatever came across in his life, whatever happened, whatever, that God was with him. I want you to think about that as we go into a communion. God was with him. You know, we cannot say, there's not one of us here can say, oh, you don't understand my problem. You don't understand. Listen, God understands. We might not understand. God understands. And then we're going through. So what, have, what can we learn from this? Whatever, what really matters is this. It's not so much about all of our events in life, all those bad experiences we've, we've experienced, all the bad circumstances. We have those. But you know what God's looking for? You know what the healing factor is here? Is how we respond to them. How we respond to them. What is the right thing? I use, it, I use this theme with Jan driving back from my, my sister's funeral. And we talk about family stuff and all the. I said, what is the right thing to do? What is the right thing to do? What does God want us to do? Not them. What does God want us to do? How are we to respond to this in Christ? See, that was Joseph. If you look at all the heroes of the Bible, they all had that similar pattern of obedience to God, yielding to Christ, trusting him, trusting God. No matter what happens, trust God. Because it's going to happen. We cannot live life this side of heaven without having some blemishes, some issues, some problems. It's what we do with them. What we, does that make any sense? It's what we do with them. That's important. How we respond in Christ. Remember, remember this in closing. God can even use our setbacks, even our setbacks, for his glory and our good. Whatever you're going through, give it to your Lord. He'll use it for your glory. He'll use it for your good. Don't get caught up in time of answered prayer because that one can drive you crazy. God knows you give it to him in his time, he will answer. While you're waiting, you pray for faith, you pray for strength, you pray, you pray, but you're confident knowing that God will answer. That was Joseph. You know, 
Guys, life was a mess, but how God used him at the end for his glory. Amen? And I think that as we get into the communion time, that we need to let these truths be, remind us of just how much God loves us and just how much we need him. We should never, we never reach a point in time where we say, I've arrived and there's nothing else I need to know I can learn because I know it all. The more we know about God, I believe, the less we know. That keeps us humble. This keeps me humble sometimes. Um, I love you so much. Everyone here. I love my wife with all my heart. She's my best friend. She's everything to me. But the amazing thing, when I say that, you look at your own family. You know, Chris and Sue, you need me holding hands a little bit. There you go. All right. Now you make me feel a lot better. Pastor, I'm listening to your sermon. You know, as much as we, you love your family, and you know this, you love your family, your friends, God loves you even more. Jesus loves you so much. I Can you imagine that? That the perfect God comes down in human form to die for us. He didn't have to. We all will experience physical death unless Jesus comes again. And as Billy Graham once said, I don't, I'm not fearful of death. I am fearful of the process of dying, the pain, all that goes with it. Jesus experienced that and even more for us. For us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we just praise you and thank you so much. And Lord, we're also reminded that communion, communion uh, never grows old. Each time we come together and, and we share the bread and the cup, Lord, we are reminded of just what you've done for us in that cross that you have made eternal life with you, Father, real in Jesus. And this supper reminds us of how much Jesus suffered. And it also reminds us that in our own way, living in this life, that we go through those moments of suffering and pain. But communion reminds us that, Jesus, that we can overcome because of what you've done for us on the cross.